with me here, we have Dibna Lim. Um, I will let her introduce herself. Okay, is this where I go? Yes. Okay, this is my spiel. Hi, I'm Dibna. I used to run the 400 meters and 400 hurdles. Uh, I retired at the end of the 2018 Asian Games and I have transitioned into motherhood. So I now have a 15-month-year-old boy uh, with my husband, Sing Song. And um, you might hear him in the background. I apologize for that. He's still very awake. Um, yeah, let's, let's get on with this. Okay. Um, yeah, firstly, thank you, Dipna, for, for finding <laughs> some time out of your busy schedule. And um, I, think, I think being a young parent is not easy. Especially, I mean, you and Sing Song do a lot of the stuff yourself, right? You should know. <laughs> yes. It is... Yeah, when Ting Song's away, it's just me and the baby. He seems to be winning most of the time. It seems like you have explored every corner at uh, Gardens by the Bay already. <laughs> we have, we have. Um, we It came to a point where we were uh, noticing which flowers have finally bloomed. So we were charting their progress of growth. Yeah. Unfortunately, they shifted one of the... There, at one point in time, there was during... Especially during Phase 2, there was a... Oh, are we still in phase two? Okay. Anyway, um, there were like there was an elephant and a camel, and then they just recently got rid of them. So Tian ran to this area looking for the camel, and then it was not there. So well, yes. So we we'll just take us through um how you started with this whole running thing, how it got serious, and through school and through the national team and things like that. Okay. So um, I started running in my neighborhood playground. So what happened was that there was an unsaid rule where every evening before dinner time, all the kids at the, uh, in the neighborhood would congregate at the playground. Um, the big kids uh, went to play soccer or football. So my, all my siblings, I have, I'm the youngest of four kids. So the three of them went to play football, but they were, you know, it's like too rough for a little girl. So I got chucked to the playground, the sand pit area, and all the other little kids went to play. Um, catching so that's actually how I started running uh, I really like to play I mean catching was my favorite game so you know after everyone got bored of catching I'd say let's play police and thieves and then everyone go okay I'm like yeah so then I read that then when people got bored of police and thieves we went let's play ice and water then they went okay so I just basically ran the whole time uh, under the guise of various um, games um, and then when I got to primary school at the CCA um and you know, I was like, okay, which one has the most running? So track and field was that. Hi, Papa. <laughs> um, Hi, yeah, so I joined track and field, and at primary six, uh, sports school was just starting up, so uh, it was quite an easy decision in the sense that I was like, okay, well, sports school is the place that I can run even more. So that was a natural transition, and uh. In secondary two, so my second year in sports school, I started running much faster. I improved a lot. And, um, you know, then I started representing Singapore at the combined schools, the all the age group meets, Wala and all that. And, um, yeah, then it started, instead of just being a hobby, it became something a bit more than myself. And then it sort of kept growing from there. So, um, yeah, I just kept running until... I stopped. <laughs> I mean, I'm still running now. I'm doing 5Ks and all that. But like, you know, not. I've taken a significant step back. Yeah, I wonder why. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, 
Yeah, so okay, I, I you were in the pioneer batch of uh, sports school students. Yes, so uh, I entered in in 2004. So um, the Pioneer Batch consisted of mainly Secondary 1 and 2 students. So I was in Sec 1 cohort and then a lot of the Sec 2 um, students actually trans- um, transferred over from their secondary school. Um, so yeah, they only accepted those two years and then, yeah. <laughs> how, was, how was life like there? Like, I mean, um, I'm sure many people want to know like, how was life like as a student in the sports school? What was your schedule like? And, and roughly, um, yeah, basically just, just how was like student life like there? Yeah. Um, student life at sports school was really fun, really. It was a whole new world, right? Because it's hostel life. So I've never really stayed outside of home other than like random stayovers with my friends. So, um, it was really different. It was very fun. It was basically a prolonged sleepover with a bunch of friends. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we wake up at like 6, 6, 6.30 to go train. And then after that, shower, breakfast, go to school. And um, take a little nap or play, like, you know, chill with your friends for a while. And then we go out for the second session. Mm. And then we have supervised study time. So that was uh, really quite a good... <laughs> a really good foundation for us uh, sorry baby wants to play with me <laughs> um, yeah so supervised study time was really laid a good foundation for us when we exited out of the uh, sports school system because that sort of incorporated a really good habit for, uh, for us to always just revise at the end of the day okay um, yeah so was it an was it like an automatic uh progression like if you are in the sports school um, then you move on straight away to the national team or, or how was it like oh okay yeah so uh no it's it's not a natural progression so um well okay in terms of the school system what happens is that at secondary four you get to choose uh whether you want to go yeah. take the O levels or you want to go to um at my time uh one of two uh, true train options so true train means that you bypass o levels except for the mother tongue so you have to sit for your o level mother tongue and then um you either go into rp republic poly or um my time had this thing called aut so auckland university of technology and you get a diploma in sports science and management in two years so uh, versus a diploma in RP which is three years, right? So I chose the shorter route. Um, so that's where I went. And then I went to, I transitioned to NTU after I graduated. In terms of the national team side of things, the sports side, it's really, well, if track is a very loose definition of national team because we don't really have, um, we, we don't really have a set national team. So it's very much just that if you hit a certain qualifying mark, for example, if you qualify for SEA Games, then you're naturally going to enter all these national competitions to uh, lead up to that big game. But, um, you know, in general, our loose definition is probably like just familiar faces that yeah, probably represented Singapore here and there. Um, but yeah, there's no fixed team. So it's, it's just very much based on their performance. And then, you know, some people might even represent Singapore for one year and not the other year. So 
yeah, it's, it's hard to say. Sorry, this national uh, what qualifies yourself as a national team athlete in Singapore uh, in Singapore track is really tricky I, I, to I answer. Actually, not about the team per se, la. I think for you guys, it's just uh, I think a lot of you actually train on your own with your own coaches, and then you have centralized training as and when. Um, yeah. yeah, because I don't think there's a. Yeah, and even then, the centralized training is like yeah. for relays, maybe, but like not many. We don't really have a proper big, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, um, yeah. So tell us a bit more about how it was like, um, running track, representing Singapore, um, going to all the major games. You went to the Olympics as well, right? Yes. Uh. Okay. Yeah. So my very first major game or SEA Games in 2011 um, and I did not make the final so I was very embarrassed um, and then so it was like uh, hmm. okay so the thing about my track career is also that it's really um, interesting in a sense that I bounced around events a lot so when I entered the sports school I was actually the slowest in the whole batch um, hmm. Going into it, all the top athletes, so all the record holders, all the gold medalists, all entered sports school, and I was that random person that never got a medal in national schools in primary school, but made it into the sports school. So I was really glad that I made it in, but I also was very aware that I was the slowest. And that was made very evidently clear in all the training sessions where I was trailing behind. Um, but I, I just trained really hard, and then I, I managed to improve over the years thanks to their coaching and all that. Um, so... Mm. In that one year of figuring, finding my footing, I had to bounce around even like all the different training groups to try and see whether I could find my potential in whatever event it was. But no, I was just truly just not so great at that point in time. So somehow, similarly in my so-called national team career, I did that same thing. So I was originally in, in I was in a sense, so quite established 400 meter and 400 hurdle national a runner at that point in time but then my coach uh, decided to switch me to 100 hurdles which I was very keen on doing because it's much less painful in terms of there's no lactic acid and, and the training is much more fun so I'm like okay so I did that for a while uh, held the national record for a few years and then uh, you know then transitioned out did 200 meters for a little bit um, and then came and then after 2011 SEA Games where I ran the 100 meter hurdles and came in Basically last, and I didn't make the final. Uh, we made the switch back to 400 hurdles, and that's when I won my first medal at SEA Games in 2013, where I got the bronze, which was the first medal in quite a few years, so it was quite exciting. And because of that, I got stuck in 400 hurdles. <laughs> I couldn't move after that, because you had to deliver the medals, right? So uh, 400 and 400 hurdles was meant to be. And um, I mean, it's fine, because I, I truly do believe that my potential or... I'm really quite a 400 meter suited for 400 meters, and my coach Lewis, um, who I retired with, uh, firmly believes that I should run the 800 meters. Which, I mean, not saying he's wrong, but I mean, if the okay, everyone's gonna judge me for saying this, but I used to joke with my coach that if I have to cross the finish line more than once, then it's not called the finish line, and therefore I should not run the 800 meters. And that was. <laughs> my lame excuse to you know try to escape anything more than a one round mileage but um, <laughs> yeah 
It's a very oh, valid reason. Thank I'll use you. that next time anyone asks me to run on the track. Yes, but make sure one. but make sure your students don't hear you and then they use it against you. <laughs> yeah. That will definitely mm. come back. But Mr. Sid, <laughs> said the finish line is there. I'm yes. not gonna cross it more than once. <laughs> okay. Um yeah, um I think oh. I uh, along the way, I mean Singapore Singapore athletics gets quite a bit of coverage uh, in the news. So yes. along the way, yeah, like for for rugby guys or just just people out there who are interested in sport, um, we get updated quite regularly. Of course, yes. in recent times, it's not that great news. But um, yeah, I, I I mean, track has always been like a, a sport where everyone can relate to. Right, everyone loves uh, a bit of speed, a bit of competition on the track and. I remember, no, don't tell your husband. Uh, <laughs> I remember, <laughs> I remember uh, in secondary school, uh, my secondary school was, I mean, St. Andrews were known for rugby. La, so um, track was not really a big thing. And uh, what happened was, we still sent uh, teams and representatives to the national school games. So back then was the national school's track and field championships, right? Um, and then for us, uh, what, what would happen is we would, the teacher in charge of track would just pick some runners from the different sports, um, do our own centralized training, and then go for the nationals and trial, and then um, do the heats and and see where we go from there, lah. So I remember seeing your husband's name on the. I think he was the A division record holder, right, or something like that. Probably yes. I think yeah, he still holds so he, one of his records. I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he was. So back then I was in secondary, I think he's he's a two or three years older than me. So back then I was in secondary school and I think he was just in JC. So he was holding the A division record and uh, watching him run was uh, really a, a, like a, like I was in awe. I was sitting on the stands at the first, I think it was, it was Trachukang Stadium and then at the National Stadium before it got torn down to the sports hub. So yeah. There's just something about watching track and, and being involved and and yeah. So yeah. So yeah, so anyway, I digress. But, <laughs> um, I was talking about the interest. No, please keep track. going, keep going. I should yeah, I should blast this on speaker for him. <laughs> yeah. Um another story about your husband. Yeah. Um I think he played a bit of rugby. Yes, he, he did. Winger. Right? Yeah. yeah, so I think um one of the I actually played against him once. He will never he probably has, has no idea. La. I played against him once on the same field. You wonder why. Um I think there was like a tennis side um, tournament organized by some club and we our secondary school we went over, we participated in like a under seventeen category or something. So he played um and I yeah, it was not a pleasant experience la, but <laughs> having a guy that runs 100 meters in 10.7 seconds or whatever run on the field against you is not a pleasant experience but yeah <laughs> okay so um yeah so back to your your career and and all that right um i think uh, along the way like you mentioned uh, you you saw events and all that uh, the four hundred meters, whether it's the four hundred meter hurdles or just the just the four hundred meters, um, is notoriously known for its 
demands on the lactic system and, and the training and, and how tough it is because you you have to have that speed endurance, right? Yes. Um, what makes you enjoy it so much? Like anyone can say, I, I will definitely stick to my hundreds and two hundreds. Mm. Um, yeah, I think, well, of course the love was, um, I was slow to love the event in a sense that, I, I mean, in the first place, I was all chucked into the event, right? And then I happened to produce some results, so I stayed in it. But it was really only in my later years, like um, maybe probably from 2014 to 2018 when I retired, that I really truly appreciated the distance and my ability in that distance. So uh, it was really, I think with that, I was in my, how old was I? Mm, oh, I can't do math. I'm so old. I'm so bad at math. Um, okay, I was in my 20s, like, okay, my late 20s, mid to, mid to late 20s. Okay. And um, I'm 29 now. Yeah, maybe we can. Okay, anyway, okay, it's fine, fine, right? Okay. <laughs> I, <laughs> I was in my mid 20s, I say. Okay. And um, I, I think with that maturity and the experience in my spot already, then you could really, I mean, I could tell that, like, this was truly what my body responded to, the, the type of training that my coach was given me, giving me, and the, how responsive I was to that training and how it could then translate to track and into the timings that I could achieve. And um, I, there was also a mindset shift, I think, because I, after graduating from uni, um, since I was very supportive and I decided to go full-time to pursue my passion in track. And because of that and knowing what I was putting off uh, made me a lot more serious and took every training more seriously. And I really um, treasured that time uh, that I had because knowing that privilege that it was to be full-time. Um, so with all of that, it was uh, a bit of love, learning to love the pain. And um, towards the end, so in the 400 meters, there's always a point in the run where you... <laughs> and the, yeah, probably at the point in the run where you start screaming like that mentally. Um, yeah, like there's always a point in the run where you you go, you hit a wall or you, you go, oh, this is where the lactic comes in and it's going to hurt. Yeah. Um, so a lot of, for many, many years, majority of my career, every time that point came or was going to come, I, I cringed. I was like, oh dear God. Then I was, I was so afraid of it to happen because I knew of the pain and the struggle of having to move the, with your legs weighed down by lactic and all that. But, oh yeah, towards the end of, uh, the career, what I was, um, how I felt whenever that feeling of lactic came in during training or in the race was more welcoming. Um, so during training, uh, instead of going, oh man, I have to run again, I when I was really tired or when I was feeling like it was, this was what I needed to do to get to where I want to go. And it was during the race when the lactic came in, instead of thinking, oh man, I was thinking this is where the race starts. And it's how all your competitors and yourself push through the lactic and who can overcome it best they would get the results that they deserved. And so it was that mindset shift of empowerment and knowing that with some confidence and some gusto, you can really overcome that lactic or that mental barrier. And I think that that mindset shift really took me through and then helped me break the cheese release national record in 2017. With your, that was a yeah. silver medal run, right? 
that was the surprise filter. Yeah, it was amazing. It was, um, also then linking to your next question, which is, that is my fondest race, fondest memory of track. Yeah, yeah. I wasn't planning on asking that because I, I already knew, Ooh, well, I already knew that, would, that would be your answer unless you had something else. <laughs> but yeah. Um, oh, should I throw the, throw the curveball? <laughs> yeah, so... Um, yeah, so 2017, silver medal. I think I, I, you were very emotional then as well. Um, now, we, 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 as we were heading to 2017, and then you said you retired after the 2018 Asian Games, right? Um, were you already mm. planning on retiring? Or did it come after that? Mm. Or, you know? mm. Okay, it was... I think it was always a moving goalpost. So when I graduated from uni in, I graduated from NTU Sports Science and Management in 2014. Um, the decision was to go full time for one year to 2015 SEA Games in Singapore, course home ground, right? Um, but then, I mean, I did decent. I got a silver. It's improving on my bronze, but uh, I knew I could have done better. And it was, it was, although I got the silver, I was, I felt disappointed. So. Uh, I spoke to Sing Song and I said, okay, can, is it okay if we go to try for Rio in 2016? So he said, yeah, okay, let's go for it. Um, however, um, Rio was, I, uh, oh, okay. At the end, in the December of 2015, um, I got my worst injury of my career, which was um, in a training accident, I landed wrongly in the jump and something came off the bone. So like jump, 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 uh, and then in true in true Bollywood fashion, slow motion in front of a mirror. I slow I I took off from my jump, saw my reflection in the mirror, going oh no oh no oh no, and then I landed wrongly and pop. Uh, whole gym hurt my pop, and then uh, I was down on the ground crying. So something came off the bone. Uh, the whole of twenty sixteen was, I mean, effectively ruined. So. I, we had to immediately saw Comac, try to get everything done. Um, got the got it glued back onto my ankle and <laughs> uh, tried to salvage. <laughs> okay, glued it back onto my ankle. Uh, yeah, so glued the tendon back onto my ankle, and then um, we tried to heal as quickly as possible. Uh, to try and salvage what was 2016. So actually not too bad. I managed to get a PB in 20, at the end of 2016. Um, very much thanks to my coach and a lot of unorthodox training. Like So I was doing a lot of like bike cycling, uh, a lot of aqua jogging as well. Um, so yeah, I'm really working very hard with all the rehab exercises to make sure the fitness was there. And then it really translated the track, so I was really lucky. Um, so at least I had something to show for 2016, but Obviously not real and obviously not what I was willing to go out on. So talk to Sing Song again. Sorry, I'm not okay to retire on the Sea Games. Can I retire in Asian Games? Maybe. And then at Asian Games we we take a stock check and let's talk we think about Tokyo. So he said, Okay, let's go for Asian Games. So very, very understanding husband, because uh what I was putting off was not just career progression and uh contributing to the household but also obviously kids. Um, so 2017 went really well very dramatic actually um, I after after what was 2016 like the major injury thought that finally 2017 would be my year and I mean the results at the end of the day was great um, two silvers uh, 
national record, everything great. But um, the lead up was awful in the sense that I had some random ass um, why am I not say ass in the show? Um, I had got I had got this random viral infection. Uh, so I was basically just feeling really. I just could never catch my breath, and I was one of those annoying athletes or just people that's not recommended kids um to re- to train when you're in, uh, sick. But I did that anyway. Um, and but I, I was just really having difficulties recovering, and even though my flu symptoms went away, I was still very short of breath and I was feeling really weak. So finally, Louis was like, "Just go and take a blood test." And I'm like, "Wow, right? Don't be so quatang, don't be so dramatic, and you know why need take blood test?" But anyway, he kept insisting. I said, "Okay, fine, fine." Okay. Went for blood test. Turns out. Um, yeah, um, like I had really low white blood cell count, so the emergency room was calling the doctor. Um, so my doctor told me he had six missed calls from the emergency room because uh, lab results showed very, very low white blood cell count. So if I had spiked the fever, I had to rush to the emergency room. It was very dramatic. Um, then I got, uh, what, what did I get? I got referred to um, a specialist uh, for immuno. I don't know, diseases, I forgot the term now. But um, yeah, it was very dramatic. Then I had weekly blood tests to try and figure it out. I had um, like, yeah, it was just a whole slew of things. Then I had a viral rash. I had everything else met. Um, and then suddenly after like maybe six weeks, it sort of went away. So we don't know what's wrong. We don't know what happened. Uh, but I am okay. And we just hope it doesn't come back, basically. But it was just very dramatic, right? And then I... Uh, when that passed, I got um, like um, oh, I'm so blanking out. What is the term for? It's like more serious than a flu, but like upper respiratory upper respiratory tract infection. No, huh? Is it? Yeah, upper respiratory tract infection. That thing. But yeah, so, yeah. So basically, I got that. Then, but that was I got that one week before I was supposed to leave to Australia for to quite try and qualify for uh Sea Games. Then I'm just like what like. I mean, it's, it's been quite a few hurdles already. Why do why this? But managed to qualify. Thankfully, recovered ish in time. Managed to qualify for Sea Games. Great. Then, leading up to Sea Games, my training camp in Japan just before Sea Games, I clipped a hurdle and I flew and I fell. Uh, so it was very painful. Went to get uh, went to see the Japanese physios and then they were like, "Oh, we think you probably tore one of your ligaments and you can forget about your competition next week." And I was just like. What are you talking about? I can't forget about it. Um, so then I was like, oh my god. Um, and yeah, they were like, we are 90% sure you tore your ligament. So like, just GG. Um, so it was very emotional, one, two days. And it was really hard for my coach, Lewis, to have to continue to try and motivate me and tell me to not give up. And when his athlete is like giving the most like blackface ever and then crying, it's so annoying for him, right? Supporting. Um, but, you know, he was really patient with me. He never judged me and he just kept trying to motivate me. And we came back to Singapore. Uh, we got emergency MRI scan. Thankfully, all ligaments were intact. So I only had bone bruising, abrasions and all that. I mean, not great, but definitely still can run. I just like took a bit more painkillers. <laughs> and um, I was really nervous because like, I mean, mental game was really off already like, at that point. Yeah, but, um, you know, Lewis was really just... He was like rock beside uh, by my side, and he was just really motivating. And um, yeah, it, I mean, and the training before that also wasn't really there because I wasn't really running. I was trying to rest. Um, but and I mean, um, I did this whole very emo long uh, series of posts on Instagram that year um, as a reflection post. But I had shared that 
usually when I walk step into the stadium before my race and then the, the crowd roars, I, I feel this rush of adrenaline and it, like that's when I really switch on. But um that that time walking in for the hundred hurdles, um I stepped in the stadium and instead of the rush, um I felt fear and I almost cried. And I was like, oh my god, I can't cry <laughs> before my race is ridiculous. Um so I blink away the tears and I keep walking. And then you pass the Singapore contingent, they're waving to you and they are smiling, they're trying to encourage you. And I almost cry again because I'm like, I don't want to let these people down. They're all here to watch me run and I'm supposed to deliver a silver medal at least. And I, I don't even know, I haven't ran in so long. And I mean, not so long, in a few days, but you know, a lot happened in that few days. And it was really, it was really grim. Um, yeah, uh, which is not a great place to be mentally just before your run, but um, so uh, yeah, just before the race, before the Kirkarisan, I mean, before you're on, the on your marks, I was just like, okay, just, just try it out, okay. <laughs> um, and I go, and it's, it's not a great timing at the end of the race, and I was, I was fourth, I was fourth at the end of the last hurdle, um, and it's just like, and when I landed and I was fourth, I was like, oh no, I cannot go away empty-handed, and it's like sprint for dear life, and I click with, I, I get the silver instead. Um, so that was, it was it was really great to watch the video, and that was um and for me when I when I got the silver and I I, I looked up the scoreboard and I saw my name is silver, uh silver I was, oh thank God, <laughs> I was just like relieved um that I didn't in a sense I I delivered I didn't let anyone down it wasn't anything else it was just like oh hang hey, uh. um and so with that I I took that away and then suddenly my coach was like okay so four hundred meters you can get a medal also I'm like whoa dude. Like, that was a great race, thanks. But, like, um, silver, for, like, a medal for 400 meters is a whole different ballgame. Because with the 400 meters, I didn't qualify. So, I qualified for the 400 hurdles. I didn't qualify for the 400. So, to qualify for SEA Games, you had to hit the bronze medal mark of the previous year. Um, I was, my timing at that point in time was about fifth, uh, fifth placing based on the previous year's game. So, I was like, well, there's, there's no, I can't. Like, you know, it's, it's quite a big gap. And timings that they were running were really quick. Um, and I had to run much faster than my personal best to get it. But he was like, ah, it's okay. I believe in you can, can. Um, and I was just like, I had these people talking nonsense, you know. So but I'm like, okay, never mind. Just try one. Well, nothing to lose, right? So, um, but yeah, so I, I ran. I, I had the race plan very much in my mind. And I was a bit more empowered, a bit more confident, knowing that I could sort of perform anyway, in spite of what happened the past few days. Um, and I, at a 300 300 mark um uh sorry the last after 300 meters so the last 100 meters i i turn around the bend and i suddenly go eh? Eh? oh my god louise might be right because i noticed that i'm in the front pack i'm just like oh and then i'm like okay and then from from the surprise of oh my god my coach might be right to suddenly oh my god, I really, really want the medal now. And so then I started like sprinting. I was like, okay, okay. And I could hear the Thai, the Thai athlete behind me chase, trying like chase me down. And I was just like, no, 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 I want the silver. I, I want the silver. So I was like, sprinting, sprinting, sprinting. And then we crossed the line. I was like, oh, okay, okay, made it. Um, so that was the race. But why it was my fondest moment was also because I ran with it with like pure joy. And I, there was nothing I felt other than joy and uh, when I crossed the line, it was there was no thoughts. It was just this feeling of happiness and peace, and it was great. And I was like, and then after that moment passed, 
then I was down on the floor because like thing had hit me. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was it was an amazing race and it was um yeah it was really nice for all of us. It was a nice bonus. Um, yeah, and then so that was then that set me up for the in the relays after that as well. Yeah. Yeah, I think hearing you describe the race also. I was just happy. Like, I don't know why I wasn't there. <laughs> but hearing you describe that whole transition, the whole, uh, the, the emotional journey that you had within that race, um, you know, it, it is, it's quite vivid. I, yeah, and I think all athletes can relate to some point of it. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you mentioned that um, after after your, your uni and your studies, um, you, you made the decision to go pro. Can you talk us through a bit uh, how that went through, how that went, how that played out and what what were the challenges involved and, and how it was like? How, how I decided to go full-time, is it? How you decided and, and through the journey, what it was like, any significant challenges along the way? Mm, okay. Um, so, leading up to my graduation, um, okay, well, no, so a bit further back than that. So, um, I've never really known what I wanted to do with my life. <laughs> very, uh, yeah, very dramatic statement, but it's true. Um, I, I just, I, I suppose I was very much on the play by ear kind of thing. Um, so that was very much my my mindset with things. So, uh, throughout my whole schooling journey, running was very much what, what um. Running was very much my comfort. So I, I really chose the path of anything that was related to running, I chose. So be it my CCA, then sports school, then how, so on and so forth. So when I was graduating from uni, I always assumed that by the end of uni, I'll figure it out. Like, I would know what I wanted to do in terms of work. Um, but yeah, no, still blank. So, you know, as the years, the, the months after, you know, passing, I was like, oh, Still, still, yeah, still drawing a blank. I mean, I was really interested in what I was studying, but more so how it applied and how I could take it away to apply into my sport rather than trans- to translate it into a career, you see. So, I mean, I was like, yeah, yeah, I could do sports science, sports management. It's pretty interesting, but, you know, um, I, it wasn't like, I didn't feel a huge calling in, in that sense, not as much as running at least. Yeah. So, I was really stuck in... Um, I, I suppose I wasn't really sure how to balance work and studies because I saw how Sing Song struggled, how my friends struggled. Um, it's really tiring and I knew that um, things something would take a hit yeah. uh, and I wasn't willing to really to allow that to happen. So towards the end, so I always ask myself, okay, what do I want to do? And then like, like my brain is like blank, 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 then suddenly running. Then I'm like, oh no, cannot run. Okay, then think again. Um, so after a while, it came... Ah, yeah, why can't I run? You know, why can't running be be something? Um, so I said, okay, then my best try. So I started writing into sponsors um, and co call because I have no contacts, right? So I, I genuinely wrote, wrote into the general inquiries page of their, <laughs> um, their websites. Um, I sent out. Yeah, yeah. Hi, I'm a random person. Uh, as a general inquiry, right? Like, yeah, yeah. Like feedback to your product and then like sponsor me. <laughs> uh, but, um, yeah. So I, I drew up sponsorship proposals, like, and uh, I didn't really know how to. I just tried my best to make it seem a bit professional, like as if I knew what I was doing. And um, yeah, I just sent it out. Um, a bunch of no replies. A a, a few no's. At least by this, they told me no. And then um, I had one yes. 
and that yes was Tiger Balm. And mm. um, it was, yeah, it was fantastic. They were really kind and loved the team. They're really, really supportive. And uh, I genuinely love the product. Like, I slid it everywhere. Um, so it was it was a perfect fit. And um, then from there, Nike was, I was with Nike as well, um, who I still am with. Um, so it was really nice. And then the journey sort of just grew from there. But just, so it was really much the mindset of, well, how I approached being full-time was one, uh, trying to match fresh grad pay so that I could um, appease my parents and says that like, hey, I'm not a freeloader and I can, I am sort of self-sustainable, so don't worry about me, you know, don't stress. Mm. Um, yeah. And at the same time, it was sort of like to know that I wasn't, um, I wasn't a burden, I suppose. Short yeah, change. yeah, I guess a little bit of everything, yeah. The- the the thing also that comes into play is with all the expectations, right? In in a in a Singapore society, in an Asian society, um, you finish school, yes. you're done with all your hobbies and your CCAs, you're expected to get on with your career. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's really tricky. I mean, even now, because I mean, it's clear that I'm I'm queen of the unorthodox path. <laughs> but uh, I mean, right now I'm like basically a housewife with serious hobbies or so. Uh, I, I guess I, I've always been Naha. Uh, but um, yeah, uh, it's, yeah, it's really tricky to struggle with that because like, I mean, internally, I know that um, the things that I do are really important and I, I, I measure success. A large part of how I measure success is the positive impact that I can make as a person and, and through my actions. So with that, I feel that I am checking the boxes, but at the same time, I'm not fulfilling that that, that societal norm of, of earning like a bunch of cash or um, you know climbing the corporate ladder and things like that that we generally associate with success. So, um, I mean, of course, every uh, definition of success is different and I mean, to each his own, right? But there's still that, there's still that um, every so often you you... Um, so to give an example like whenever I meet someone and they ask me what do I do uh, if I just very straightforward say oh I'm just a homemaker they go okay but uh, some people don't stop there and they don't just take it at face value they just go okay but what else do you do I'm just like okay so then I like because I mean homemakers I mean I think through circuit breaker most people can understand now that like homemakers do a lot of stuff um, but uh, so I go, okay, sure, if that's not enough for you. And then I list down all the things that I do on the side, right? So I do in my shoes, um, give, uh, we, so we collect shoes and give them to underprivileged kids. Then, you know, I'm uh, vice chair of the athlete, SNOCAC and we do the voice for athletes who are continuing, we, we do this, 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 this. Um, and then I also coach part-time. I also do this. And then they go, oh, wait, you coach part-time. So that's the one that they, they narrow in on, right? And then... Because that's, like, that's the one, yes, that's the one where the money comes from. And what they're trying to do is trying to figure out how much money I make. So very cheeky. Um, but yeah, like, so it's really interesting to to notice who who focuses on what when you say, when you, when you give them this list of things, right? Um, and originally, uh, I know it's going to sound a bit like, ooh, of me, but Originally, um, I was really, really self-conscious about sharing all these things. But um, now I, I realize it's really more of a reflection of who's asking that question and what is important to that 
person asking that question. And so then I, I realized that I've been taking things a little bit too personally, which I do. Um, so yeah, it's, it's really more a reflection of, of, of the other person. And um, no, no fault there, of course, but it's just, um, yeah. yeah, just understanding what, what's important to different people. Actually, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I think that's that's an interesting way of looking at things. Uh, it but it really makes a lot of sense because what you do, you know full well what you do, and you are comfortable with what you're doing. And um, there are so many things that people don't see uh, outside of social media or whatever. And it's not your job to sell yourself to every single person that asks you these questions. Uh, it is their their value system, their their experiences that shape their perception of you and and to each his own and, and yeah like yeah. yeah okay um yeah now okay I've got uh I've got some questions okay self-anonymous no no nothing too serious. Uh, Again, I, I just want to find out a bit more about how your sporting journey was like, you know, that now. Yeah, so, okay. Uh, for for track athletes, um, a lot of you, like I, like I said at the start, I think you work with, like, individual coaches. So your your relationship with your coaches is usually close. Yes. As compared to, uh, let's say, a rugby team with, what, 15, 20 players or more than that. And then mm. one coach trying to reach out to everyone. Um, what do you say are some of the pros and cons or what do you say are some of the the the, the strengths of this type of combination? Because I, I I mean, I've played rugby all my life and all that. Um, there are times where I see a coach that comes in, whether it's for the national team or for the school team, and I think that that coach can do a bit more to reach out to players, to communicate a bit more. Um, communication, I feel, is the most important tool in coaching, um, no matter what uh, qualifications you have. So a lot of the times, uh, the sport and uh, the nature of the game doesn't allow some of these coaches to communicate effectively. Like I can get my message to one or two guys, but I cannot get my message to 30 guys on the rugby field. Right? Whereas for, for track and field, um, a lot of the times you have either small numbers or you have individual coaches who who dedicate a lot of their time and effort to you guys. So have you been in a situation yeah. where... Um, yeah. I mean, I think... But I suppose if you're a school coach, then it's still a little bit tricky there. Um, you still have the large numbers. But yeah, for sure, like for me personally... Uh, especially with uh, Coach Lewis, mm. it, our relationship was, I mean, at the start, it was a little bit rocky because um, my old coach from sports school had left mm. and I was coachless and the SAA president at the time, Mr. Tang, uh, said, hey, uh, we got a new coach coming in. You don't have a coach. Why don't, how about you just join? Um and I honestly didn't really have that many options. So I said, thank you so much for, for reaching out and allowing me to have access to this coach. Let me try. Um, so that was that. It was really just this random guy came from Portugal 
he has not coached hurdles before, great, um, you know, and he was here for the relay guy, so it was just me just randomly jumping in, uh, thanks to Mr. Tang. So, um, yeah, it was a little bit rocky in that sense, like, I had to, uh, we just had to try, so it was a lot of finding my footing, and then, you know, I was with the sports school coach since secondary four, so from sec four to 2000, and like seven years or something so it was it was scary to make that jump um and all my before before then all my colleagues were, were with that coach so it's like you know how am i going to adjust to this new coach or even like this new coach just new coach like me you know how's it going to work out um so that first and then somewhat it was leading up to 2015 sea games which is where i'm like oh i put all my eggs in this basket right how um but yeah it turned out well and you know it was rocky at the start because i had to learn how to understand how Lewis communicated things. So to give an example, my old coach would was the kind that would hype you out before a uh, event. So when I'm nervous before my race, I go, coach, do you think I can get BB? He said, can, of course, of course I can get BB. Mm. I go, hey, yeah, you can get BB. So I go around, right? With Lewis, when I asked him, I said, oh, coach Lewis, do you think I can get a PB? And he goes, no. And I'm like, what did you just say? <laughs> And I'm like, legit going to report for my event. This is at Malaysia Open. And then he goes, no, I don't think you can get a personal best. And I'm like, I'm going to report and you're telling me that? And he said, yeah. And I, I legit fight with him before the, like in front of the call room. I'm like really pissed off. And I'm just like, how can you say that? And you're just like, but you can't. And I'm just like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> like really, what's wrong with you? And he's just genuinely like flabbergasted that I do not understand. Like, or that I, I am... Like, he just doesn't, we're like, both of us are like shocked in different ways. Yeah. So I am shocked that I feel that my coach doesn't believe in me, right? And then my coach is shocked that I think I can get a PB. <laughs> 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 and, and so then further, further prodding, yeah, you can imagine the team manager had to break up the fight and say, hey, you really need to go for your, you, you really need to report for your event. Uh, so Lewis's stance was, your timings at training do not indicate that you're going to get a personal best. Yeah. So why the hell do you think you can suddenly get a personal best now? Yeah. Uh, and then I just said, well, it doesn't matter what my timing at training are. You have to just say, yes, so I'm confident. And he goes, no, I'm not going to lie. Which, okay, I respect the honesty. Thank you. But like, I was not used to this coaching style. Um, so it was, uh, but because of that, um, every time he told me something later on, I knew that it came from a place of honesty yeah. and I knew that he had the data points to prove it and back that up. Yeah. And so that was so much more powerful in the end. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it was just learning how to, that was teething pains, right? Learning how to, how each other communicates. Um, but yeah, so over the years, like Louis and I got really, really close and um, I'm generally close to my coaches just because it's such a close working relationship and it's like, I mean, the athlete goes out and go and, goes out and races but honestly it's a proper partnership yeah. and it's really running together and then my, your, your coach handing you the baton and you running taking that to the finish line um and i think most athletes can relate to that um at least i think track athletes can um yeah it's a really close relationship um and it goes beyond just the track right like you know, leading up to seeing 2017, he was round the clock trying to motivate me. Um, at the dinner table, he was showing me videos of motivational, uh, motivational videos of athletes who were making comebacks, fall down from the track, get up, run, and win the race, and all that kind of things. Mm. And all these things that 
he didn't have to do, but he did. And I think that truly is a sign of a good coach where they go above and beyond. Um, you know, the the coach athlete relationship doesn't stop at the track. And I mean, we're still friends to this day. And he's a great mentor. And even now as a coach, I, I run by some ideas with him and I, I make sure and he, I, I try to make him look at my, my periodization plans to make sure that they're all sound and make sense as well. Um, so yeah, it's um, definitely very important and think that um, yeah, it's a partnership. Yeah. So do you think you're more and I think that says a lot. Uh, do you think you're more of a coach like previously? Like, oh, everyone can do their PB in the race or are you more of a Lewis kind of coach? Like, oh. Um, I, well, I'm, I'm quite detail-orientated as a person, I think. Mm. So I think I would do, I do lean towards Lewis's style of things. Um, and I, I think that over the years, I, I really, I mean, again, with the coach, I think there's a lot of buy-in required. You have to believe in what the coach is doing. Because, yeah. I mean, coaching is as much a science as it is art, yeah. right? There's there's all the, the theories out there, but you have, the art is really um, tweaking it to each athlete and position, placing everything together. So, um, yeah, I, I really think that Lewis is truly, truly, wise in this aspect he's very well he's, he's very knowledgeable and um, personable as well so if you ask anyone who's trained with him um they'll say that he's he's like quite magical you almost almost everyone has got a pb under him um and that's that's hard to say because with track you know people can go for years without a personal best uh, but with lewis almost everyone has really gotten you anyone, almost so it's, everyone. It's, it's testament yes what's his handphone number almost everyone <laughs> I'll, I'll send it to you privately. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that's one of the things I, I really envy. La. I I value good coaching. I I because I work with students and lots of different teams, and a lot of what I do with teams is a lot of my experiences with different coaches. A lot of what I see as well. Um. Like you said, and you hit it on the, you hit the nail on the, on its head, right? Um, coaching is as much a science as it is an art. Um, you really have have to finesse a bit. You have the science, you have the data, but you have to find out how to get this across to your charges, your players, your athletes. Um, that's not an easy task, and I don't think anyone or everyone can do it. Um, okay. We have... Okay. Um, yeah. What would you say... Let's look to the future, yeah? What do... What What would you say um, the current crop of athletes, um, players, what would you say they need or they should value moving into the future, moving into the next what five ten years oh five ten years are oh, okay um hmm. uh okay i think we we take a step back a bit and we talk about the current sporting climate mm-hmm. huh? so i think that this season's been really heavy um for athletes all around or like worldwide i mean there's the postponement of olympics and then after a generic cancellation of the whole sports calendar right so it's been an extremely tough season for people to navigate um i mean people who have taken their year off to train for olympics people who have put their lives on hold you know and then uh for the goalposts to move is like a huge a huge mental blow it's it's everything right um and then for coaches you know scratching their head on how to 
how to make the best of this time to then come out of it stronger. Uh, and then the other coaches who are, you know, financially hit as well, it's, it's hard for the whole industry. Yeah. Um, but I think that this is what, I mean, it's hard for everyone worldwide, every industry, but I mean, other than medical, I guess. <laughs> um, but this is what athletes are, are best equipped for, right? We tackle all our problems head on. We overcome our obstacles. Um, and, you know, if motivation is down, we lean on our discipline and we get through it with grit and determination, right? So I think that those are the qualities that are especially clear and equipped in athletes. And those are the things that they need to hold on to when navigating whatever path they are on. So five, ten years later, or even just next month, uh, those are the qualities and values that they should hold on and hone. Um, because ultimately, what I think all athletes need is just a conducive environment to train and to focus on what really matters, which is uh, quality training, training smart, staying injury-free, and then having fun and trying to deliver the results, right? Um, yeah, so sport in Singapore, I think, is on the up. I think that we are more and more shifting towards a more athlete-centric approach to things, mm. uh, which is so important, and that's really the heart of the sport, right? Mm. Uh, trying to provide the best environment for our athletes and for them to bloom and flourish and deliver. Um, yeah, uh, so I think five, ten years from now, doesn't matter in a sense that it doesn't matter the timeline. Uh, the the key things that will help drive us and help push us and help us uh, perform are always the same in the sense of uh, grit and determination and just, yeah, keeping an eye on the prize. Hmm. Well said. Um, I was just telling, um, I was just telling Theresa in the previous uh, episode that um I I think we were talking about something something like this as well. So um <clears throat> you mentioned that um the Olympics were gonna be cancelled and, and because of this whole pan yeah, postponed and because of this whole pandemic, um like you said, like, there's there's many implications, right? Uh the commercial side of things is obvious, but with regards to the athletes and, and everyone involved that have been training and have qualified, um to have it postponed a year uh, has a lot of impact because um, like I, I was telling Teresa that I listened to this podcast a while back. Uh, it's, a, it's, it's about a US Olympian who has won multiple Winter Olympic gold medals and how he explains that uh, an Olympic athlete is different from a professional athlete. An Olympic athlete um, gets funded like gets gets a professional contract or whatever for the short term and to to chase the Olympics, to chase gold medals or, or, or for whatever cycle, right? Whether it's four years, eight years or, or whatever. And they do so solely for those games. Um, whereas like a usual professional athlete, that's their career. They go on till they're 35, 40 if they can, uh, whether it's basketball, football, uh, NFL, whatever. And the difference in the US was that this guy after I can't remember his name now, but 
this guy was talking about how um, he struggled mentally and and with depression and other things because he he, he could get be- he he could barely get recognized right after he was done with the Olympics. So he's won like I don't know how many gold medals, but he on his return back home he had to find a job at a convenience store as a cashier. So he was recounting this one incident where he was at the cashier and the guys that were lining up to pay for their goods were looking at the TV up top and they were looking at the Winter Olympics highlights and they saw this guy. He said, hey, it looks like you, mate. And he was like, that is me. <laughs> you know? Yeah, so there's also a difference there, right? But I, I don't think we feel that difference here. Um, We we are still very young, I would say, in terms of where we are in sport and other things. So like you said, we are definitely moving upwards. We are moving towards a more professional setup with more infrastructure, with more support for athletes and a more athlete-centric approach. I remember for, for rugby, I think it was only in the recent times that we started using the, the sport SG facilities, the gyms, and we started getting access to to all the other support, um, and that definitely made, makes a big difference lah for us. Not just not just the actual uh, physical difference, but the the social and emotional side of things. We get to interact with other athletes. We get to see how other athletes train. We get to speak with Auntie Dolly. We get to. <laughs> Uh, yeah, we hang out at uh, OSIM massage chairs and, and things like that. So, yeah, I think we are we are taking baby steps, but we are taking steps. Um, yeah. So okay, Dimna, I would love to yes. <laughs> have greater conversation with you about some other issues, but that would have to be another time. <laughs> Yes, I would agree. I, I, I warned you that I would ramble. I apologize. No, no, no. It's not about the time. I think um, I would might, might, might have to quit my job by then if I want to. <laughs> okay, but okay. Yeah, we take um, it offline. We take it offline. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, yeah, thank you so much for your time. Um, I think it's it's really not easy. 10, 15 p.m. at night. Um, I'm surprised that is <laughs> still awake though. But yeah, um, Thank you so much for sharing some of your experiences, uh, giving a bit of insight to what it was like uh, through your sporting journey, um, through your through your ups and downs, and through your pursuit of that 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 um, greater sporting achievement. Um, I would love to speak to you a bit more, um, hopefully in another session, and then um, yeah, maybe we can do one with uh, you and Teresa together. Oh, that would be so fun. Yeah. Um, yeah, so so thank you again. Uh, thank you yeah. for having me. This is quite exciting. Um, I think it's really nice to have a local, our local spot, uh, podcast. And I think also, uh, I mean, even though I know some of your guests quite personally, we don't talk about these kind of things, right, in person. Like, a bit weird to have coffee and then like, hey, it's your, like, yeah, so it's really nice Tell me to about hear, your sporting like, history. About the, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, so it's really nice. Um, yeah, thank you so much for having me and making time. Uh, and then, you know, allowing me to kick my husband and baby out of the house for a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, um, okay. Yeah, mm. um, that's all the time we have. Thank you so yes, much again. Yes, thank uh, you. 
yeah, like I always say, um, as long as one person listens to this and gets inspired or gets gets a bit more awareness into what what our athletes go through and their stories, and then we have done our job. So, thank you so much. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Um, this is the Create Don't Hate podcast, and we are done.